Hello and welcome to another episode of The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today on the show I'm joined by Emmett O'Brien. Hello, thanks for having me on. Uh, we collaborated together on We Play Here, our music magazine, um, a couple of years ago. That's like almost two years old now, I issue two. Can't get over that. Like, yeah. um, Issue one is actually, um, it'll be three three years old. Good lord. Where's Next that in November. Wow. What's funny about that is that... Did, did we do We Play Here before I made Novel Approach? Because that was only two years ago. I think so. Yeah, that that's weird that it predates that. I wouldn't have thought that. Uh, great fun, though. I, I think those are great artifacts. Look at me promoting it. Yeah, so. I'm proud of the fact. This is the first time, actually, that I've talked about it on the podcast. So if anybody <laughs> listening wants some, you know, I've still got a box or two lying around. And I'm moving house soon, so <laughs> it would lighten the load yeah, if you help, want to help take someone a, out here. Yeah. I actually, you, no, I think though it's it's a really quality production. And me too. I yeah. Want to give a shout out to Brad for his great design work on that one, and to Emer for also writing a lot of the pieces, and Freed for taking for the photos. So many photos, so many, and being innovative with each one. This is the We Play Here podcast. Yeah, I know. Right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is us, like two years later, still trying to promote <laughs> it. We're really bad at promoting it. Um, but actually, you know, it's great stuff. Uh, but actually, you know what? It just shows that we need to do more collaborations. Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen each other. Just um, thinking about music magazines, like there actually have been a couple that have cropped up in the past year or so in Ireland, particularly um, Golden Plaque Magazine and The Thin Air, both of which I think kind of do a similar idea, both of which are quite good as well though i don't yeah. know have you have you seen i haven't seen much of the golden um, plaque now um yeah they, they've only done two so far okay and, and what is what's the sort of is there like a kind of a house style is it similar like is it is it kind of like this in air that sort of tone and... yeah yeah it's kind of mu- you know classic music magazine news reviews um live stuff interviews see i, I have this thing that um and i think we've talked about this before but when when there's like a constant stream of turnover that's when i think music magazines fall into your problems but if you have something like remember foggy notions back in the day i don't remember it All i right. hear people talking about this online foggy notions yeah, leaks, and i'm just like tool. oh i want to just get my hands on a copy i, I think I, I might have some old issues if you want to oh. check it out but i think what i loved about it was it was like uh it was an event each time because it didn't come out every month it came out kind of when it was ready and i always thought that that made it like it made it something special i used to look forward to it and i feel like if there's a something you have to do something every month that's when it gets hard so i like the thing with the thin air as well kind of stretches itself out a bit um just when there's when it's not as well, it just feels a bit more special that's what i like about yeah it seems things. to be bi-monthly yeah at the moment i think yeah not strictly monthly i think is the thing because you, you kind of you find yourself repeating yourself or you know finding like that it just isn't there's just not enough to sustain that sort of yeah. level yeah um today on the show i guess we're going to talk a little bit about creativity because you're you're not on the show to promote it you're just kind of on the show just we're gonna have a chat because we haven't seen each other in yeah. a while and uh, this just so happens to yeah, coincide just so, with just something. so happens that you have um a play on as part of the 10 by 10 um series i guess yeah. on in cork arts theater which runs until saturday so if you're listening to this past saturday the 24th of october then <laughs> i don't know fast forward maybe um, but actually i, I don't want to say anything because it's not exactly like a done deal but um a version of this play might crop up in the future down like down the road i won't say any more but um kind of listen to this space is that, you know. okay it's called uh tree line uh, tree, yes, lines. tree lines yeah. yeah um so 
tell us a little bit about it without spoiling it because it is only 10 minutes so that's true <laughs> just um, like one line maybe <laughs> um basically uh, this was originally i had the idea to write a, uh, to make a short film out of it and the kind of premise is about a man who is asked to meet a secret admirer down by some trees and while he's waiting he starts um imagining who it could be and his mind sort of conjures up suspects or people he thinks it could be and it gets very meta and um, hopefully funny but what's funny is that i realized that um it was it was meant to be a short film but the whole thing is a bit kind of artificial it's set in the character's mind and i felt like a stage would kind of suit that so i tweaked it to be a play and then um, i knew it was short enough so i submitted to 10 by 10s and it's a nice way I've, like i've never i've written plays but i've never produced one so it's nice to get sort of you know like dip your toe with something kind of short and something light-hearted i'm very much of the belief that i didn't want to write anything too heavy but like you know the classic kind of theater tropes of like you know drug use and suicide and stuff i want to write something fun and kind of breezy and i slightly worry that it might be uh too breezy considering the excellent poster that bobby mcgill made for it yeah it's a... really lovely yeah uh, but now people are like this you know what a poster i'm like but just to warn you, it's a 10-minute play about, you know, um, <laughs> about a secret admirer. I'm very much, like, underselling it now because I think the poster is so good that it probably makes it seem more epic than it is. Yeah. But... So you've done other plays before. Have, oh, have they made it to the stage? Or no, was it just it, it, you it, write, you I've just written them. And oh, okay. I was kind of focusing on short film and I never really kind of gave the... Uh, uh, like plays kind of a serious go which is funny because people kind of come up to me and often say about my films that i write a lot of dialogue and they're like the stage would suit you because it's, it's built on mostly on dialogue so um i've kind of been finding that it was nice to be able to flesh things out through through dialogue in this like i kind of noticed that i enjoyed adding more because your know, film's obviously a very visual medium show don't tell so i kind of enjoyed the challenge of uh, conveying through dialogue most of the plot and I, I, it's kind of I, I want to do more plays um just, just from doing this in particular this has kind of galvanized me a bit about theater i'm still i still want to do short films i have like three scripts ready to go for films but um i definitely want to kind of look more into theater just for different possibilities um right. so. that's uh that's all interesting because you work in so many different mediums almost like you you do poetry as well and just short films and scripts and stories too it's mm. kind of um like did that all uh, do you kind of work on it naturally yeah it's kind of like i i guess i'm a little kind of like restless when it comes to stuff like this and like i've told the story a few times but um i wrote my first poem when i was seven years old because i thought that a poetic license was a physical thing you could get <laughs> and I, I said to my mother i want to get a poetic license so i wrote like a your poem. driver's license yeah that's what i thought it was <laughs> so my mother bless her heart made me a poetic <laughs> license when i was like seven years old so that was my first time i wrote it was about like it was a, like a crime it was like a detective or something and um then a few like uh the following year i wrote a poem that was published in the newspaper it was about how my dad used to get annoyed with us when we spoke during the news these are all very <laughs> kid concerns obviously and um so i just sort of got in and i just loved writing and i always kind of said like i'm like whenever someone asked me what do you want to do I, my stock answer was i was a writer but i never kind of hemmed myself in because i love film i love poems i love short stories i love whatever so i've always been writing them um i think though that uh i think film kind of just got me though that was the thing that really pushed me out and kind of i um uh, two years ago i kind of i after going to the film festival mainly for like 10 years i sort of said 
yeah I want to do that I finally want to kind of make a film so then and once I started I just I just kept going and I'm kind of happy with how things have ended up that's good yeah it's uh that encouragement that you get as a child is like that can stay with you forever I remember like just reading a story in school and you know the teacher being like that was a really good story and I'm you know you're full of hope and you're like wow maybe I can do something with this and you know no one is going to turn around and tell you oh that was a load of rubbish (laughs) like what are you doing you're seven years old now come on yeah. get on with your life yeah, that's but, the thing like because like, luckily my dad um right he wrote poetry and and wrote short stories so there was kind of that sort of vein was in my family anyway but you're right who's gonna who's gonna try to demoralize the seven-year-old who's written something <laughs> yeah. um like it's funny the first ever short story i wrote was about a man who i was like what age was i, I would have been like nine or ten and it was about a man who finds a time travel like, like a time machine and um he's trying to decide the whole thing is trying to decide um where he wants to go when he see the dinosaurs would he go back to ancient rome will he do whatever and then you see i've just been obsessed with this is like everyone knows this about me but i love audrey hepburn and i love like the smiths and even because i had an older brother who kind of showed me all this stuff but basically he decides to go and meet audrey hepburn like he forgoes you know great civilizations to meet audrey hepburn and i'm not sure that's a good short story but anyone i showed it to didn't say bad <laughs> so there we go yeah we're, we're kind of talking about this because there was a good article um online at the weekend in the guardian it's just titled does creativity scare you it's by oliver berkman who has a weekly column in the magazine it's always uh very very good and he's just talking about the creative process and how um for many the thought of expressing themselves creatively really is frightening uh this isn't especially surprising since creative work is a collision point for numerous deep-rooted fears of ridicule, of social rejection, of discovering you lack, lack talent, not to mention the fear of stirring up emotions you've been expertly repressing for years. And this is something that I just wanted to talk about with you because I think of uh, you as one of the most creative people that I know in terms of, you know, working in all these different areas and, you know, not being afraid of putting yourself out there and like putting on a film, putting on a play rather than just kind of thinking about putting on a film or putting on a play and stuff so like how does the how does your creative process work I guess I mean do you have to force yourself into writing or force yourself to sit down and think and you know come up with a with a little cloud and you know drawing lines out of it to different ideas I guess you for the record I would give it all up if I could play music <laughs> no um... uh, so this is it we're just we're just repressed musicians <laughs> yeah that's it I, I can't play any music uh, no um well, what's interesting about that is that um I, I I've talked about this a lot myself that um the creativity fear thing what's interesting is that I was writing like articles and stuff you know since I was like 18 or 19 for things and but it was a while before i showed anyone uh like like stories of mine or scripts or whatever and i'm going to use this as an example when i was like 22 i wrote a, a script called the hour of the wolf and it was looking back on it it was awful right mm-hmm. because i was young i was like 21 22 and i i felt like if i ever made a short film it had to be this dramatic statement and it, had, and it was really overwrought and it was about a guy who's like having trouble with his girlfriend and i was having trouble with my girlfriend at the time and it was so on the nose and it was awful right my point is if i had put that out i i don't know what would have happened so i put out my first film when i was like 27 
and it was about puns about grammar and I felt like I would never have been confident enough to put out something so kind of singular or so myself before that I would have been trying to ape someone I would have been like this will be my you know this will be my Bergman films I, I just feel like you, you have to reach and I mean this is different for everyone because like say Johnny Marr was 19 or whatever when he was like in the Smiths or whatever but my point is I felt like if early 20s Emmett had done something it might have all ended in a cloud of like pretension <laughs> and dreadfulness. So I feel like I got to the point where I was confident enough in my own kind of skill set. And it's funny, people have come up to me and they've actually said like, I mean, people have said like, all right, look, Emmett, enough with the puns kind of, you know, we get it. Like, And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? It's something I enjoy and something I'm good at. And it's one of these things where if someone said, I don't like that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to convince them. I'm like, you're either... Either you're like into it or you're not into it and i remember like when my first when you put up novel approach on like broadsheet.ie you know when it was first put out and it was my first time this was before i even had it on youtube properly and it was my first time getting like reactions from people outside of like my social circle yeah yeah and the first comment is really weird if you look at it there's about 12 comments and 11 of them are positive but the, tw- the first one is this woman saying I've seen a lot of shit in my life and this is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and it was such a, it was such a kind of a wow. hyperbolic kind of statement. Like, I know it's, te- it's not the worst thing you've ever seen. I would have felt worse <laughs> if the woman had said an actual genuine criticism of like, that didn't work. This didn't work. It's the comments on broadsheet though. This True. Is a, uh, yeah. You know? yeah, I, that was, yeah. That's a very like particular example, but even like a sleepover, my second film has gotten more of a mixed response. But the thing is, it's kind of one of these things where I'm confident enough in my own sort of, I like it. Like, there was a very, so I've kind of gone off on tangent, this is more of the fear of creativity thing. But I remember one time when we were filming Novel Approach, and I was racked with the, like, the insecurities of the artist, like, will people like this? And there's one line where a character says, because it's all puns and grammar if you haven't seen it. Uh, he says, you have a nice simile. I mean, sorry, typo. You have a nice smile. And it's Emmett Orevig and he delivers it really well. And uh, I remember w- looking at when we were filming that scene. And that was the first time I said to myself, if I had seen this in a film festival, I would like this. And as soon as we had that done, I was completely confident in the film. Regardless of whether or not other people would like it, I knew I was happy with it. And I didn't feel afraid about it. If that makes any sense. I was just like, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um... But each time you go into something, uh, my I suppose though my creative process though is that um, I I just I'm constantly taking notes of ideas. I actually have an email at the moment that I add to like kind of a, a resource, and at the moment there's forty two unfinished projects, which is a bit daunting. Who knows? I'll never get to it. Just like idea kernels of ideas, kernels that come of ideas, to you and you just kind of write them all down right, and so tree lines was one of those i put down secret admirer you know trees or whatever like a little shorthand and then i sort of go to it and i, I just sort of whatever kind of takes my fancy as i kind of peruse the email and i mean it's funny woody allen has this thing that he says where he always said that plotting for him was torturous but the actual process of writing was really pleasurable it's the opposite for me i love coming up with ideas i love working stuff out it's getting them down on paper can can be tough yeah I guess, I guess that comes down to even like going back to writing a short story for school or something you know you're always told plot this out yeah. you know plot out the story and then okay I've got the plot but I have no idea how to write it yeah but so like I mean I kind of do that as well I you know I on my phone I've got you know Evernote I've got another couple of notes apps and yeah, things <laughs> like that and and I you know like I hear about a new one and then I think oh maybe this is what I need to you know finally get all my ideas together rather than actually like the actual thought of looking through what some of the stuff that I've written down 
that actually kind of scares me. Like, really? what? Like, what was I thinking at that time? This is a stupid idea. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, even even just the idea of looking back on it, I just think is, you know, what could I do with that sort of thing? You know? Yeah, I, it's, it's funny because sometimes you do kind of look back and it, it's almost like it's almost like a, a blurry picture from my night out. You're like, what was that <laughs> supposed to be? It made sense to me at the time. Um, that's when that's when your shorthand code kind of fails you. Um, what I noticed is for a while there, I tried something. I tried recording my voice. I had like a voice recorder I was using for interviews, and I tried recording my voice, thinking that maybe actually hearing myself say it would prompt it more than words on a screen. But it actually made me more uncomfortable mm-hmm. listening to myself going, "Well, in this idea, you know, I know, uh, whatever." And I was just like, it felt weirder listening to myself. Yeah. Did you just find was... yourself constantly going, "Um, uh, kind or... of, yeah." Like it's, I suppose it's easier if you can just get it on paper and or even on the in an email where you kind of feel like no one's gonna ever come across it when yeah. uh the recording was just a bit different i, I didn't like it um what's funny though is that there's, there's certain things that, that won't work out like there's um there's ideas i've chased to dead ends you know there's scripts that i thought would work and then didn't um it's just yeah it's just knowing it it's, it's just kind of knowing if you have the passion for it interestingly enough um comic potential which is going to be in the uh, film festival which we'll talk about in a bit but uh, I made that in collaboration with the, my friend and the fine filmmaker Ross Carey and we wrote it together and we directed it together but the lean was we were both talking about projects that we had that weren't working out we met in like Cafe Eco and he had a project he wanted to do I had a project I wanted to do and it just wasn't they just weren't working out and kind of in our frustration we spoke about it and then we were like well I'd rather do something like and that's the first conversation we had about Comic Potential so a project that kind of came out of us being frustrated by other projects and like i I wouldn't have written comic potential if we hadn't had that conversation so yeah is it's good as well i guess to have someone that you can bounce ideas off if that helps immensely right definitely um i what's, what's interesting with ross and myself is that we have very similar senses of humor and um if you watch comic potential like we wrote we kind of took passes at the script like he wrote a draft i kind of tweak it i'd send it back and then at one point it kind of got to the point where i wrote a very certain part of it and he wrote a, a certain another part of it but it's kind of seamless that you can't it doesn't look like two voices it fits as a piece there's only one joke there's a very pun heavy joke that people say to me that's you isn't it and i'm like <laughs> yeah okay that's me but everything else you can't tell and i do ask i've never really had that with someone because um I shouldn't say this, but there was a girl I went to school with years ago called uh, Lisa Tynan. Don't tag her in this or anything. But um, we were so, we were writing. We had a school. We had a day when our teacher was gone, and we were put into different classes. And myself and Lena were Lisa were put sitting together, and we decided to write a kind of a babysitter club murder mystery together. Now we were about ten or eleven, and we got into a big argument over who the murderer should should be, and that remained unfinished. <laughs> and I've always had that in the back of my head, like sometimes collaborations just don't work don't out. Don't work out. Yeah, I I had the better idea. <laughs> <laughs> You never wrote it down. No. No? Is that one of your 43 <laughs> ideas? Yeah, the Lisa Tynan project. Um, <laughs> so, so like, you look at all those ideas and is it just a case of just attacking them one by one or just kind of looking at them at the right time and inspiration kind of strikes? That kind of... And also, um, I do a trick and I think maybe you do it. I think, I think it's something we, we need to do where I sometimes force myself into deadline so it's like for example i have a comic idea and i'd be like okay i have a comic idea when will i do that so i start contacting an artist and then suddenly there's someone who's dependent on you and i'm like that person needs me to write a script it's kind of a way of tricking yourself into finally getting work done by 
bringing in your collaborators even like Dara Keating who's the star of Tree Lines was like when are we going to do Tree Lines I'm like yeah when are we going to do Tree Lines that kind of prompted me because it was there for ages I had that script for a long time and um but yeah I think it's just it just kind of depends like for I I was thinking about it this year like last year I wrote Comic Potential and Same Old Song and Dance we made that at the same time and I kind of got burnt out like I haven't done any short film work this year I did like a music video but I just focused on comics and plays because I felt kind of burnt out with the short films, doing two of them together, kind of. And now that we're getting to the end of the year, I kind of want to get back into short films, but I needed that break. So it's like I just focus on, I decide that this is the comic time, this is the play time, this is, um, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, with the music video was Elastic Sleep, right? Leave You? Um, you did Leave You. Um, when was, was that last year or this year? No, I, myself and... Uh, Ross collaborated on a video for this Italian singer woman. We did it in the Firkin Crane recently. Um, oh, has it not been released yet? Not yet. Oh, um, okay, right. I was, sure. I was wondering. Um, I did actually, I, 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 Elastic Sleep, I kind of want to do another video with them down the line, but I'm, I'm not sure. They're, they're, they have an EP coming out soon, don't they? Uh, they're recording anyway. Oh, yeah. We've got a couple of shows, including uh, playing the Workman's Club in Dublin on Friday, i.e. tomorrow oh, as cool. we're recording this. So that should be good. No Cork show lined up for a while. Uh, it's a pity because I, I, I think I missed the last time they played. Um, quarter, I think. Was, was that, that quarter? Yeah, it would have been. But the thing is, I, I actually... I've been kind of out of unfortunately not unfortunately because I was at a wedding and it was great but I missed <laughs> the famous like altered hours girl band hoopla oh my god it went off yeah I, I basically missed the social event of the season it seems <laughs> like it's... yeah it was uh yeah me and Breed talked about it on this podcast a couple of weeks ago upstairs at the pavilion uh at the pav uh back at the pav you know and uh it was it was a bit crazy. You, does that does that clip that's going around? You know, it's kind of like it's like a Snapchat type clip of people like jumping. Up. Oh and yeah. It reminds me of whenever I watch like VH1 behind the music things where it's like they show like the Smashing Pumpkins or something, and it would show like those early grainy shots of them in a club, and it's like everyone freaking out. <laughs> that's what it looked like. It was like this will be the the documentary footage years from now. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm very sorry I missed it. Do you, uh, have you heard the new girl band album? Yet? Not the album yet. Um, I I love the the new Altered Hours track that was released a few weeks ago. Yes, it's fantastic. That's the kind of newest thing I've heard. I'm a bit kind of neither of us can think. Of, can either of us think of the track name? I keep thinking Dig Early, but I know that's not. <laughs> that's the other one. That, that's Sorry. the last. That's the that was the last song that they played. Supporting like that's their set closer, oh, and yeah. it's just oh, it's phenomenal. Oh, they have a new great. album coming out, and their debut album yeah. finally coming out in the in the new year. Well, so. they're, they're one of my favorite Irish bands. Um, they're amazing. So, yeah. Um, anything else that we should say about creativity? Would your advice just be to someone just sit down with like this, see? This is the advice that I always hear: just sit down with a pen and paper and just write. And I've, you know, I've done that. I've, I've just sat down and tried to write. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, I kind of go, oh, I don't think I want to do it again. And so, like. I like just this week for example I've been trying to think of just feature ideas that I that I can come up with and so like two just struck me like once after I had gone for a run and the other time when I was cycling home from work at night so and I was just oh I I must remember this I must remember this and just try and write it down just try and get it on paper and you know just the idea whereas if I sat down and tried to think of those ideas, I don't think that they'd come to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, no, I totally get it. Like, I always think that things hit you at the weirdest times, like... In the shower? Yeah, but also, like, whenever I'm... Uh, 
Okay, it's, it's a kind of thing that used to happen to me in school as well. It's, it's like that thing, classic thing where you're asked to write, uh, you're asked to study or you're writing an essay or something and you, you kind of do anything except that and that's when yeah. I find I So I feel like that happens that if I have to write something, my mind wanders like, no, you've actually just come up with a really good story idea. That'll distract you. It's like your mind is kind of messing with you. Um, my advice, it's, it's really funny, there's a guy I know called Steve Spillane, a great kind of political blogger guy yeah, yeah and he says that he writes like something every day and i'm like i salute that discipline but i do not have that that, discipline. that was actually one of the questions i was thinking of asking you do you force yourself to like sit down for an hour and write um i that's thing not not every day or like think <laughs> but like it, it's funny I, a few years ago i um i started two years ago i started like a tumblr and i saw let it fall into you know uh into you know, i've stopped doing it but uh, I kind of had this thing where I wanted to try something every day. I wanted to add to the Tumblr every day. And like some of it was like funny poems I wrote, like one-liners. Um, one was like I did, you know, um, I did a thing about philosophy. I did like a, a, a thing about philosophers. It was just a joke, like kind of a pun-heavy philosopher thing. And I have to admit, it was nice having something every day. There was a, there was a good kind of tr- like six, three months where I was like kind of churning stuff out. Right. But um, I kind of got burnt out and I felt like doing the tiny little things was taking away from bigger plans and stuff. So I, I, I see that people work that whole everyday thing, but I definitely can't work that. Um, I think for me, it's just I have bursts where I, I, I finally crack something. And then that night I write like seven pages and right, I might yeah, yeah. go back to it for a while or whatever. But I, I, I will admit that not having full-time job probably gives me a lot of time <laughs> and i'm not recommending that but i definitely have more time to mull and more time to kind of add stuff to things and yeah I, I think about that every now and again i think oh if, you know i had those extra like eight hours a day i'm sure that i'd be you know cock of the walk i'd be like churning out <laughs> stories and essays and features and everything and then i just like no i wouldn't i'd just oh. be like listening to spotify all the time you, yeah you, you procrastinate that's another thing i can't write during the day if i could write during the day my life would be a lot easier oh, really i can only write at night i write 90 percent of everything i've written i write in the small hours um this days I shouldn't be I, I don't I feel this is like a kind of confessional I don't know why I'm telling <laughs> you stuff like this but years ago um I I had a really bad bout of insomnia and I'm actually I'm actually this story is relevant to talk of creativity um I had a really bad bout of insomnia and I, I I was up all night and it was kind of but I was writing right so I felt like this this time was being productive but I suddenly got writer's block so then I was just faced with this like ocean of time that I wasn't doing anything with mm-hmm. and I was getting kind of frustrated. So I decided to like kill time by like watching stuff. So like I decided to rewatch Buffy, and I love Buffy. So I was just rewatching that to kind of get through the long hours. And then since I hadn't written anything, I was like, okay, I'll pick something. So I decided to pick Buffy, and I said I'll write a poem about Buffy, just something small to get kind of creative juices going again. And then um, it became this like I did this kind of weird like episode guide in poem <laughs> form, and it became like it, I wrote fourteen pages detailing the first three seasons right the reason i mention this is that wow yeah no wow. spoilers i've only watched the first two episodes okay wow but, <laughs> no, uh, you should read my poem you don't need to watch the show no but it, what's weird about it is that it did get me back into writing um i stopped after the third season because i was like this is getting crazily out of hand but my point is like it's something i'm incredibly proud of. it's actually structurally one of the greatest things i ever wrote but it's about Buffy and no one cares. Like, there's a very niche market there. And, like, so I feel like, isn't that weird that I, I did something that I did so much work on it, but it's something I'm proud of and I'm also deeply ashamed of. 
So, but it helped. So maybe um, recently as well, um, I kind of hadn't written for a while, but for Halloween, I'm doing a, a poem that my friend Caton is illustrating. And that was another thing where I decided to ease myself back into writing by, I wrote something about Hammer Horror films, which I love. I love the 50s and 60s Hammer Horror films. So that was like, I just decided to write something on it because I, I liked it. It was pleasurable. Rather than I forced myself back into writing something by writing like a heavy essay or a heavy story, I sort of eased myself in. So Buffy and like Hammer Horror with things that got me writing but who knows if anyone will like those pieces or I right yeah um what that poem is it for anything in yeah, it's, it's for the cork comic we're like we're part of the cork comic creators meetup it's thing every month and we have a tumblr that people can add comic they can add their own comics to because sometimes people write things but they don't know what to do with them or they don't know where to post them so we've kind of given them like a kind of a platform so no i don't think anyone was doing anything for halloween so i just so it's called under the hammer horror and what it's about is dracula is forced to sell his castle to, because he's hit like a financial crisis it's full of jokes about hammer horror monsters uh -huh. and again i'm probably writing it right up my, your street yeah i'm writing it for my four friends that will like <laughs> it and i, I get that joke <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty uh, it, it's pretty lame but look yeah. we'll see how it goes yeah. uh that's interesting uh just you say um about people not knowing where to go with some of their ideas i was thinking about this recently um just in terms of irish music in general just thinking back to when i started in college and uh more specifically about give a man a kick um, who are playing their last show at the bars on Friday, which I'm going to, and hopefully interviewing Steve from Give a Man a Kick for the podcast, uh, hopefully next week. But um, I was just thinking about my relationship with Give a Man a Kick and how little I know of them kind of, you know, up until like third or maybe 2008 or nine when they were pretty much finishing, you know, and just how Irish music seems to not be this exclusive club, but it's it's not written about or talked about in the mainstream areas in terms of if you don't buy hot press when you you know back in 2006 i'm thinking of just myself i don't know how people listen to irish music now is it just a case of following nile or nine or whoever online and you mm. you hear more about it now and you're more exposed to it but back then it just kind of felt like a like a different genre Mm. you know definitely like, like there's rock indie dance uh folks whatever oh, and then um like Irish indie is you what, know. What, I, am I wrong right because I, I used to I used to read Top Press like a, a bit back in the day wasn't there like two sections where it was like they give singles but then they also gave Irish singles am I wrong mm. there um, I remember thinking they were actually even it was even marginalised like within the format yeah and um, and that's it it's it's always marginalised even now like it's still marginalised in Hot Press if you want to talk about Hot Press or um which you know they do they do do good features with Irish acts and stuff you know that I'm, would be unfair for me I, to. I, I guess um back in the day there seemed to be more of a kind of a uh, a one kind of a, a one cloud that you could put everyone kind of under like there was like you know the singer songwriter thing was a big deal and that sort of like seemed to encompass like there could be a rock band but if they had any sort of like emotionally heart wringing songs like oh they're part of that scene I feel like right now it's more disjointed I'm not exactly sure where. Like where where would say give a man a kick fit are they like irish indie now or are they i just don't know i, I don't yeah. know what the umbrella term is these days well like I, I uh ray wingnut wrote a great piece for the thin air a couple of weeks ago talking about you know this final tour that give a man a kick are doing and he just said that he realized um after they released we are the way forward that um 
you know the best band in the world were from limerick and they're releasing music on a label that was based in limerick as well out on a limb and you know it's cool that you can just say the best band is from you know limerick you know down the down the road but like you would have no problem saying that the second best band is from you know seattle in yeah. the u.s or something you know <laughs> well like i always think like i'm a big champion of them but like i always think that like dave nelligan is is a great um local um songwriter or a musician but like he's almost like i always think that people it's hard people when people approach dave it's like he has an indie album he has an electronica album mm. he has like an old 1914 kind of you know old and i love all that i think it's great that he can do so many things but it might make it hard for people like not knowing where to go because there aren't those kind of um designations anymore dave is kind of like a jack of all trades and i love him for it but it might be um daunting to someone who's following only indie and then stumbles across this electronica ep or yeah yeah and if it's not i guess if it's not organized well you know if you're kind of having to do all the work yourself you're kind of it can be daunting like oh man this guy has three albums i don't know like what do i listen to first what's his best song but, th- and... but then what's funny about that and I, I i think this is something that we've lost i i, I want to be very careful i want to come across as like this old curmudgeon being like <laughs> back in my day because you know what it's easier i can if i want to hear anything from a band i can just you know i have instant access and that's great but um, I remember, like, I'm very much a completist. I have a story for what broke my completist streak was when I was a teenager, I tracked down, pre-internet days, I tracked down these um, uh, pre-gish demos for, like, Smashing Pumpkins, like, stuff that hadn't made their debut album. And I remember I did so much work for it, and I was so happy when I got it. I had to, like, do mailing lists and all this stuff, and it was absolute crap. And I was like, there's a reason why they didn't put this out, because it's terrible. And that was the moment that broke my completist streak. But I've always loved coming to bands when there's a big body of work. Like Really? Remember, yeah, because like, I remember Bell, Bell and Sebastian, an example I'm going to use, and the Magnetic Fields, right? Both bands I absolutely love. And I remember like Bell and Sebastian, like, I came in, you know, it would have been like around, um, I suppose, Dear Catastrophe Waitress, because it was just my age. Like, I wasn't, I was about 11 when If You're Feeling Sinister came out. I wasn't in the right age for that. But... I loved, I did this thing where I like, I got one album, I loved it. Then what, next time I had some money, I went in and there was like another album waiting for me. And then like, I just liked, and the Magnetic Fields has like 69 love songs, is three CDs and it's all over the place. And I kind of liked losing myself in that. And um, Elephant Six Collector were another thing. There's so many offshoot bands and I used to like charging the kind of like, Neutral Milk have people that are also in the music tapes and the music tapes of people. Are, and I, I really liked that. And nowadays it's probably harder to, for people to sort of people just want the instant hit but i liked getting into albums and i remember people saying to me like fold your hands child peasant you fold your hands child you walk like a peasant is the worst band sebastian album so that was the one i bought <laughs> at the end you know but i was getting all the other stuff and and then when i got to it i was like oh this isn't as bad as people say it is and i just liked having it all there yeah for me and that's why I, I, that's another thing i like about dave that there is so much there um but yeah i don't know i just liked that sort of immersing yourself i really i have to admit when i get into something i really get into it right yeah so. um there are a couple of things that i could talk about there first of all uh regarding smashing pumpkins they're a band that i first kind of got into with their greatest hits uh-huh. and that's pretty much all that i've listened to by them i know that i should get into gish get into um melancholy and the infinite sadness um but i haven't really i'm kind of like i love the first like three quarters of the greatest hits and i'm kind of happy well, enough with that you think, you think it's look we could do a whole episode <laughs> dedicated to me talking about smash pumpkins because i love them but i love them with with some caveats like i think they're very much 
I think they're very much they're a teenage band. I think you fall in love with them when you're 15, and I can still go back to them. I still love Gish, Siamese Dream. I will even go to bat for Adore. I love Adore, but what's was funny, that their last album? No, that was the kind of like post melancholy where people started like that's when people think that the wheels came off the kind of pumpkins train when they released the door because it was a stripped down acoustic mellow album okay i really like it has some of his best lyrics anyway but um what's funny is that well the current stuff is quite quite bad but (laughs) also i I can always go back to them but i have a real soft spot for them and um it's one of these things kind of like what i was talking about earlier with if people said they didn't like my films like if you people can hit me all the bands i love people can hit me with very valid criticisms like Billy Corgan's a you know, megalomaniacal madman who writes overly pretentious lyrics. And I'm like, I can't argue with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if people don't like it, I'm like, I totally get it. But like, I don't know, listen to the guitar solo and Here Is No Why, which I, you know, named, like I was one of the person that named my kind of floating production company after that song. If you hear the guitar solo on that and you don't like it, we have nothing to talk <laughs> about. <laughs> like it's a, it's a very basic, just hits me on a very kind yeah, of yeah. primal level. Um, so the pumpkins though as i said they're very I, I did something again this is more more confessional stuff i was sick recently and i was supposed to be going to see the decembrists I, I fell ill and I, I couldn't go and i was at home and i was um kind of bored and i was annoyed that i wasn't at the gig and i got a gift um of uh the pumpkins last album and it was from like an aunt of mine and it was very nice of her even though i've kind of gone off the pumpkins you know i don't like their new was stuff. It an album that you didn't have well, it was their newest one um, oh, okay. uh, monuments to an allergy that they released this year it's not very good <laughs> but i had like all the other albums and i decided to do this thing where i and i think you'll appreciate it as well i made a spotify list of i said could i make one good ep or one good lp out of the last three pumpkins albums like the post comeback oh, right okay um and has it been three albums yeah it's wow. like geist oceania and now monuments and um i said could i make so i i i, I set myself a very like you can do 12. This was like, mm-hmm. I miss I miss DJing as well. This was like, you have 12 songs. It has to be a 12 song album. I gave myself. And I managed to, I managed to do it, right? Yeah. I, I took together a passable, and I'd say decent album, right? And I, I showed it to my friend Ross and he's like, I'll have to check out the albums. I'm like, no, you really don't. <laughs> this is it, right? But um, it was something to do while I was bored, but, um, and, and stuck indoors. And I decided, and this is, this is awful, but, I love like I love the pumpkins, but they are so ridiculously over the top and pretentious, and I kind of love that as well. So you know, going back to even their early days, like or like calling an album melancholy yeah. and the sadness, for example. So I wanted to call my playlist "New Pumpkins Album" something that I think Billy Corgan would call it. So I I settled for "Whispers of Agamemnon." <laughs> Completely ridiculous. <laughs> He'd love it. <laughs> Well, I don't know if he'd like you not listening to the other, what, 36 songs or so that are probably, yeah. that you're missing out on there. Man, though, I think I nailed it. That, that's, yeah, I must yeah. listen to that. But uh, must I? No, you mustn't. No? There, there is something, though, I, I kind of wanted to do with other bands. Like, you know, like there's, there's a kind of a train of thought that like R.E.M. You know, went off the boil when Bill Berry left and they released, how many albums was it? Like, Up Reveal, Around the Sun. They released like five albums. And I wanted to see if I could get one record out of the post bill berry rem and just post 96 is it or post 98, 98. yeah well, no sorry up albums? was their first album without him in 98 okay and then they released like five more i want to say and yeah and then but i wanted to see like could, could i get like a say a 15 song album out of that you know or i, I enjoy things like that kind of re rewriting or recontextualizing band song like ba- uh, eras of bands and stuff that's kind of fun to me i don't know yeah, and you got you got something good out of it. Um, well, that's it. I mean, I I think 
I actually listened to that Whispers Agamemnon playlist a bit. I probably listened to it more than I would listen to... I probably have heard, gotten more into those songs than I would have if I was yeah. going through the albums. Um, yeah. But still, it's very inessential. Yeah. Just, just talking about um, uh, like bands with a lot of albums to their name, I'm currently reading a Bob Dylan book um dylan in america is it or no it's it's a new book it's called it's blah 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 the the night that split the 60s or something like that it's about uh dylan's show at newport um and that so i'm a couple of seeger and all that good stuff exactly yeah um because dylan is a guy who i've tried at least on three different occasions just trying to like okay I have to get into Bob Dylan now. And I, I just haven't made that connection. Um, I really like his... I actually like his last, like, two albums. Okay, yeah. So I think they're quite good. And I go back and listen to the old stuff, and I'm like, it's really, really good. I really enjoy it. But I still feel like I haven't made that right connection yet where I'm like, I have to listen to the, like, these 10 mm. Bob Dylan it's, albums. It's, you, you are, like... I'm, I'm a kind of like the Pumpkins. I am a huge Dylan fan on many levels. And why I say many levels is that... I obviously love I love his music and I love like the era that he defined and all this stuff but I also love Bob as just a cantankerous weirdo I live for news reports where he's <laughs> doing you know he he mends gates neighborhood gates near him you see there's a picture of him with like a blowtorch mending yeah. a gate and he just does really bizarre things and you know when it's like there's people that you for example I love Morrissey right but I think that at a certain point, I can predict now how Morrissey will react to things. Like, you'll hear a report and I'm like, you, you know what I mean, though, right? I, oh, I, I, I know I can, exactly what you mean. But here's the thing. I can never predict. I've been following Bob Dylan so long. And I can still never predict anything he'll do. And I think that's, like, endlessly fascinating. So I love him as just, like, a character and as a as a weird guy. And I also love his music. Funnily enough, though, as much as I, I, I love him, uh, I love like this. I, I think Highway Sixty One is an amazing album. Bringing it all back home, the classic stuff. What's odd is that Blonde on Blonde, right? I'm a huge Dylan fan. Blonde on Blonde has always left me weirdly cold. It's like this album that like you're meant to love, right. yeah. and it has great songs. I mean, like um, like I Want You, um, uh, Visions of Johanna, all this stuff. Great songs, but as a full record of like a defining album, I've actually I, I only mentioned this because you were like haven't been able to get on board with it. As much as I'm on board with them, that album has never struck me as the stone yeah. cold classic it's supposed to be. That is the one that I always think of and that I go to first sort of I thing. I figured that. You oh, see, that's okay. why I said I figured that was So the is one. that my problem with Dylan, maybe? That maybe. I'm starting there. But the funny thing is that so many people would tell you to start there. Yeah. I, I, yeah. But, uh, but that, I was thinking, I was like, maybe it's Blonde and Blonde that's putting you off. Okay, so where um, should I start with Dylan? Um, I think Bringing It All Back Home okay. is the... It's it's a more approachable one than Highway 61. Highway 61 is probably better, but Bringing It All Back Home is, is, is more approachable. It splits the difference between long, folky songs and kind of straight hits like Subterranean and Maggie's Farm and all this stuff. Um, I really, I absolutely love them. Uh, funnily enough, though, I wasn't a big fan of his last album, Tempest, and you said you enjoyed. I, I quite liked it, yeah. Yeah, um, I like his kind of current sort of nineteen forties kind of pop crooner, sort of old pre rock and roll kind of thing. I do like that. Did you see him on Letterman? Letterman's yeah, the last, the last week of Letterman's show. Yeah, the night um, we called it a day. Or uh, I, I really enjoyed those performances, and I also like the week leading up to that was just so many posts about Letterman, so many posts about Dylan as well. And just so, so much content, so much content on the internet about this. And it pointed out, you know, a performance 30 years ago that Dylan did on Letterman as well. I don't know if you came across yeah, this. Yeah, I, um, it, I, I can't think of the songs that he played, but they were electrifying. It was, it's it was about, like, he did it with um this punk band. Yeah. yeah. I can't, what are they called now? 
I can't blank, but I know the performance. Uh, I know right, what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, and it was it's electrifying. It's is it like an eight minute video or something yeah, like yeah. that, or it might even be a bit longer. But it was like, whoa, Dylan, guy can play. <laughs> yeah, I am. but like it's funny. Um, I was watching there's like there's a re- recent episode of Doctor Who called Before the Flood, and it was kind of a nod to a live album that Dylan made with the band. And um, I was listening to it again, and it's like, uh, it's weird. Like Dylan himself has kind of disowned the album. He's not that much of a fan of it but it has this like there's a song called most like you you'll go your way and i'll go mine it's on blonde and blonde and the blonde blonde version is very good but the live version blows out of the water to the point where now that's like the definitive reading of that for me i i can't go back to the album version um when he was when he was on form he was great like you know but but the problem is his 80s are a total mess he released one good album in the 80s and that was in 1989 he just got one in there oh mercy well he also formed the traveling wilburys who radio radio loves them yeah but i always think that's the thing right like um have you ever watched uh there's a great documentary with the traveling wilburys like on the cd if you buy the special edition okay and like um i, I love the traveling wilburys and I, I love roy orbison and everything and but it's really funny there's a bit where they're they're showing the creation of certain uh, certain songs and there's a song on the first traveling wilburys album called tweeter and the monkey man and it's one of these like bob kind of like nonsensical throw as many syllables as you can into a sentence <laughs> kind of thing but like it's a fine song but the way they're talking about it, like George Harrison's like, I went, I saw him go in and he did this amazing vocal. That's like, but it was like, they're talking like he's just rewritten like a Rolling Stone. They're talking like, but they're so reverential. <laughs> I'm like, this is a song called Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Like, this is Bob <laughs> taking the piss. Like, but they're so like, it was incredible. Blew us away. And it's really funny when I watched that. I just yeah. think. It, it's just from the first three or four chapters that I've read of that book. It just sounds like people you know fall at bob dylan's feet that he was you know he was always gonna be you know the guy he's yeah, yeah the main guy you wouldn't want to criticize anything that he's done the thing is like like maybe that first album though which is you know him still finding his feet yeah the the, 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 the like the self-titled what's funny though is that one of my fears for bob like, like my my brother doesn't particularly like bob dylan and um i've, I've gone to see bob like 10 times and wow, he's, really? yeah he's never disappointed me which i'm really? in a minority yeah there Stra- when was the first time you saw him um in kilkenny 2001 uh just around the time it was the time he released love and theft which is my favorite of his um kind of comeback albums okay. so he was still playing guitar still playing guitar okay. and ronnie wood was with him it was just weird what? yeah wow. it was a very odd gig uh, it was amazing though he was he was on great form and he played a lot of um there was actually weirdly enough that was a blonde and blonde heavy set but it was the good ones it was the good songs <laughs> and um yeah so i've seen him like many times and but the thing is why i've never been disappointed with him i think i've just gotten lucky that a lot of times have been actually good ones because i remember the last time he played in cork the night before in dublin was meant to be terrible but everyone agreed that the cork gig was better so i, I think i just got lucky but I think I go with certain expectations. I know he's going to be a shambling mess, and I enjoy that. <laughs> uh, he did this thing one time where he 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 for in between a song he he gave a big speech where he was literally mumbling to the mic. He's like, and he went on for about five minutes. Like, and at the end he went the only audible thing he went, you know what I mean, and everyone cheered. <laughs> and that I thought was hilarious. No one knew what he was talking about. Like I, I well, thank that. God he's over. Yeah, but it also was like it's like he, it's like he knew he was losing us. And he gave us this like kind of like uh, a side off, like you know what I mean. Like it was ridiculous. And I think like so I so people like I brought people and they're like it doesn't sound like but like, of course it's not gonna sound like the sixties or it's not gonna sound like what do you want from this guy? Yeah, I yeah. want an entertaining shambles, and that's what <laughs> I get. So, 
Uh, wow, we've talked for 46 minutes already. Jesus do you want to talk Christ. about the film festival or will we just leave it there? We might, maybe we could do another show closer to the film yeah, festival. that's a good idea because it's in November, like November 6th. Um, November we'll actually, 6th it starts. Will I talk about the, the book and then the, 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 the book in print and then we'll... Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, basically, uh, if people don't know that there's a series of books that's been around for like over 10 years now called The 33 and a Third. And what it is, is it's someone writes about an album that's dear to their heart. And it can take many forms. It can be like a fiction that incorporates the album. It can be like a straight biography on the album. It can be like a personal tribute to it. It's, you know, very up in the air. They recently released their 100th. Yeah. 33 and a third book. Yeah. And, and also like they've um like they've released recently like the Super Mario theme. Someone wrote a book about the Super <laughs> oh, Mario. Really? Yeah. And I was just like, how did you get a book out of that? Like it's, it's <laughs> kind of, they're kind of branching out. It's interesting. But recently, I think it was like they had they had open submissions this year and I've had a long term plan to like write for them. But the submissions wasn't open. So they had like a, from June 1st to July 27th, you could submit. And it's quite a long process. You have to go through nine kind of components. And um, so I submitted about the R.E.M. album, uh, New Adventures in Hi-Fi, the 1996 album. And I was quite happy with my proposal, but alas, it was not chosen. Um, it was there was 605 submissions. And they picked 80 for like a kind of a, a long short list. But they're going to whittle that down to about 20. So I, I didn't know, I, I didn't expect to make the 20, but I was hoping to make the 80. Regardless, uh, I was a bit deflated. A number of people that have submitted were, people were posting about it a lot. Um, a music, an eminent music critic that we, we both follow called Everett True was one of the people that was rejected. He was, he submitted a proposal for, um, for the album Hi, How Are You by Daniel Johnson. And, um, he decided to he put up a blog talk uh, calling it rejected unknown and he asked other people that had been rejected to send him his send him their proposals and just see if, if there was enough interest for himself to create his own imprint and kind of do a sort of an alternative to the 33 and the thirds so i sort of emailed him and a lot of people have and he, he set up like a facebook page and an indiegogo project and it's to create a series of books it's a very ambitious plan um, to create like a kind of a, a like a quarterly kind of series of books. The first one is a um, it's a it's a, it's a project called One Hundred One Albums You Die Before You Hear. It's obviously playing on the kind of like albums to hear before you die, and it's 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 meant to be taking down sacred cows, and it's meant to be highlighting terrible albums. So he wants both. He wants like classic albums like if you don't like the rolling stones, send him a proposal where you hate that rolling stones album. If you you too like arcade fire but then there's legitimately bad albums that he wants to talk about as well like say like saint anger by metallica or whatever it's just there's a whole bunch of things you can propose you can propose things and um there's an indiegogo project but also it's it's kind of iconoclastic it's like let's take down these things that everyone kind of holds in high regard and he also wants a, a strict um he wants to have as many female writers as male writers and there's a, a number of, of, of women writers that have submitted and I like that split so it's not uh, one gender kind of biased and um, yeah so there's a lot of plans and this is just the, the start of many books but this is the current one and you can there's an Indiegogo project look up 101 albums you die before you hear and hopefully I think if he likes the if, if he likes the proposals for the rejected territory and the third, we might get um, books about those albums and so that's kind of his plan. So fa look at Facebook, Indiegogo, and um, on Facebook out. as well. It's one hundred and one album. Um, it will look up rejected unknown. Rejected unknown. So, but like I mean, he's like to be honest. That's a telling thing though. That like uh, a very well regarded music critic didn't make the thirty three and a third cut. That's yeah. interesting. I mean, like you know, or it's a tough. It's a very tough thing to make. So. Yeah, those are um adored 
books as well like yeah, talking always, about adored albums and... um to be honest like i have to admit like i obviously was passionate about the album to write about it but i even just loved the aesthetic that they'd have like the, yeah. the uniform nature of them i was like i'd love <laughs> to have my name on that like um on a very shallow level so but um are but, you able to say what album you've submitted to 101 albums you hate before you die um, is there yeah. one album that you can point to well no actually, well, actually i it's, it's, i'm glad you asked that because i asked in the kind of forum about it i said is it possible to be a fan of the band but you just want to highlight what you think is like a dud album or, or, or a bad album because like because i didn't want to like to us i don't care like i, I like you two are example like i don't hate you two i kind of nothing them you know i, yeah. I i'm not that passionate to be like i'm gonna take down you two how can so, you be i don't know how can you be passionate about about a you, band to hate them but you see yeah that that's the question about a band. so we but he wants kind of um like the whole process the whole project is to get kind of i suppose it is to take like, the things that people accept for example i remember like i'm a big bowie fan but i remember chris summers being like i don't like bowie I, back in the day and I was just like, yeah, people kind of take it as red that Bowie is great. And I, I don't mind hearing like dissenting voices with things like that. Or, you know, like, for example, I'm not a big fan of Arcade Fire and I used to get in serious trouble for voicing that. <laughs> um, but uh, no, the album I actually submitted, so I said, was it possible to like a band but just want to like say, look, they messed up on this album? So I actually, I, like, I'm a big Cure fan and uh, I hate their album Wild Mood Swings. It came after Wish and I felt Robert Smith was just kind of spinning his wheels a bit. So I submitted that um as i said i i think i kind of attacked it like enough but i think i definitely wrote it with a bit more affection you know and i'm hoping that that'll give a different tone now i i have i don't know if i've been accepted or not who right knows? yeah but my point is if you're reading just constant hatred 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 it might be nice to break it up with here's someone that's actually respects this band they just missed the mark yeah so but i know i could be talking myself out of being um, <laughs> accepted right now just because you you talked about saint anger i was just thinking about that that was like that came in 2004 <laughs> and it was you know when i was go- getting like really into music and getting into metallica and everything and it was like i and and i didn't have you know um a music head on me like i do now and so i i, I love the album you know I was, you? I, I was just like oh i love this album and i haven't listened to it in like you know eight years it's funny i don't know why I, i'm I kinda, afraid to listen i, I kind of went blank on sort of like terrible albums right at that moment like i, I could have easily said something like metal machine music by lou Reed. like for some reason i went straight to saint anchor i know what that says about yeah. me um yeah i remember though i i, I was kind of like i was i liked metallica and um i yeah saint anger kind of pushed me over the edge of really? it yeah i guess i didn't i didn't know enough back then ah, well if you like something you like something yeah. <laughs> uh we'll leave it there i think we we've talked about enough sacred sure. cows and creativity and uh uh smashing pumpkins dylan um, oh man gotta gotta break out spotify okay <laughs> <laughs> get into it i also i also told a lot of very embarrassing creative things as well so that's that's, that's good um you can uh listen to the podcast on itunes and soundcloud and subscribe to each of them just search for the point of everything uh tpoe blog on twitter do you, and what would you like to plug Emmett? um i guess i could plug uh, thinking cog productions it's my facebook page for the various films and work i do and uh, uh m i guess uh em comma i guess which is my tumblr if anyone wants to check out some of my writing and you have a film in case we don't get to talk about the Cork Film Festival. Do you want to plug Very your quickly, film that you've um, got com- in it? Comic Potential, uh, the film I made with Ross, is is being shown. It's been shown in the opening night uh, at half five in the Opera House as part of like a special homegrown um, sort of uh, 
crop of local films and it's also being shown on friday the 7th um as part of a series of um of irish shorts and very happy i mean i've been following this for years and um the idea that my film is in it's my first time being in this particular film festival and it's in for the 60th i'm delighted like 60th right, yeah. um, so i was gonna check that it is sorry comic potential is being shown on thursday the 12th apologies about that so in word on the street in uh, the gate cinema so. okay doke um thank you very much i had a great time yeah me too uh really enjoy talking about music with these and other and other such things <laughs> Uh, yes, we'll be back with another show next week. Thanks a lot for listening.